Welcome back to the Worst is Yet to Come podcast. I'm joined with my co-host, Harry. So, I think this is our fifth episode now. So we're going to be talking yeah. about a uh, important event that shaped our world today. It's uh, September 11th, which yesterday was the 22nd anniversary of 9-11 happening. Yep. So, you know, it was, you know, one of the worst acts of terrorism in modern history. So Harry, let's get a little bit of background going about this event. Uh, right, so um, me and you, when we were preparing, we were saying to each other, like, you know, how funny it is to, like, just kind of, like, how funny it is to, like, say, like, to describe, like, what 9-11 is to people, because, like, so many people already know. Um, But for anyone who, like, doesn't know, or they're younger, and maybe they're, you know, afraid to ask, or something like that, or someone who just maybe not knows everything. I think mostly for, like, uh, Generation Z, like the, the Zoomers, they weren't alive. Like a lot of them weren't alive when this happened, or they were yeah. just infants. Like we have actual memories of this because we're part of a certain age group. But the younger generations, like they weren't alive for this. Yeah. So, and in it, just frame of reference, um, I was born in '98. I was three when this occurred. But it, like I was telling you, it was it's one of my first memories because of uh the way that my parents perceived it and we'll get into that later when we talk about our personal experiences with it um but so just background we uh me and andrew are uh, old you know we did kind of go through this to some extent we witnessed it to some extent um andrew more so than i did because he was how, how old are you like five when it happened seven i was seven yeah okay I, I'll go into my story about it. I remember yeah, a lot of yeah, it. Well, There's actually yeah. after effect that affected my family too about it. Yeah, we'll go into our own personal uh, experience uh, later, a little bit later on. But so for again, for anyone who doesn't know or isn't familiar with it, it was September 11th attacks, uh, usually called 9 11, uh, was a series of four uh, coordinated terrorist attacks carried out by Al Qaeda um, against the United States. Um, on September 11, 2001, and uh, it was uh, essentially uh, four commercial airliners were uh, hijacked on, I believe it was Tuesday morning. <laughs> um, uh, I think it was I'll, Tuesday. I'll, I'll look into it. You keep talking. Um, it was like a Tuesday morning at like eight eight a.m. Uh, these like these uh, flights were. It was still like highly coordinated. These four uh airlines were like hijacked like simultaneously almost or within very quick succession of one another um and two of these flights um it was tuesday yeah tuesday yeah tuesday so right at um like the same time it's like simultaneously four uh commercial airliners were attacked attacked uh hijacked sorry and uh, two of the uh, airliners were flown into the World Trade Center. That's uh, World Trade Centers one and two. In New York and, City, yeah, New York City. A third was flown into the Pentagon um, in Arlington County, Virginia. And the fourth plane, um, whose passengers had learned about the earlier attacks through the uh, phone systems uh, in the plane. Uh, like through family members or loved ones and uh, authorities and that kind of thing. Uh, they, n- you know, knew that this was kind of <laughs> the f- a fourth plane. Uh, and so those passengers to kind of prevent their flight from being used as a weapon or, you know, to try and save their own lives. Uh, the passengers of United 93 tried to uh, fight back and regain control of the plane. Uh, but the hijackers uh, ultimately uh, crashed the aircraft into a uh, field in Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Um, but the just the extent of those attacks on, like immediately on the people directly affected by it, is just. 
it, it it's like it's a level not seen before like ever really i mean in, in terms of like in the modern era you know terrorist attacks you know it's just insane the to the to the degree that these attacks were uh you know coordinated you know n- nothing had been this highly coordinated before and uh nothing had been this this highly uh had such a high casualty rate um and so let's just kind of as we get into like affecting it and everything like that um we're going to talk about the like the numbers of the casualties so uh, i guess the official death toll is 2997 uh sorry 2977 uh, victims and then uh 19 al-qaeda terrorists um but since these attacks because of all of the dust and everything at the, at the world trade center when the, the world trade center like collapsed um i think it was 1400 people since then have died from directly from that like yeah, from there's... the smoke inhalation and things like that there's that famous photo um from 9/11 called the dust lady I don't know if you've seen that yeah. one. Um, so I'm just trying to f- pull it up right now. Her name's uh, Marcy Borders, and she worked at the Bank of America branch. It was located in the North Tower. And a photographer from the uh, Allegiance France Presse uh, took a photo of her as she was coming out. It was an you know, iconic photo. And she was 28 at the time. She came down from the 81st floor. And uh, they just got this photo of her just covered in just dust, which, you know, at that moment, you know, you're not thinking about it, but that is just all chemicals and like carcinogenics from like the building and yeah. construction materials used. So eventually this woman unfortunately died in 2014 of stomach cancer. And um, yeah, she like went deeply into debt. She didn't even get any chemotherapy. She couldn't afford to pay her prescription pills. And the, and the cancer was triggered by the toxic, toxic dust that she was exposed to. And it's just really sad because, like, you know, it's just the after effects of this happening, like, years and years later. There's still people now that are suffering. It's just like Agent yeah. Orange in Vietnam. It's just people just, you know, years years later just, you know, falling ill because of this kind of stuff. Yeah, and the uh, the the health effects of uh, just all that, uh, just from people for that not even people that were in the immediate area, but I mean, you see that, that debris cloud, it went yeah. miles, you know what I mean? Um, but so just to kind of get it more of an extent of, you know, the, the, uh, tragedy we wanted to cover, um, uh, our own experiences, uh, with that. Um, did you want to go first? Yeah. Um, so I was living out west in uh, Saskatchewan, so Western Canada at the time, and that would have been like, so it happened around eight in the morning. So it would probably be about six a.m. And I could remember, so because I was seven years old, and I could remember, um, you know, so my uncle apparently called my mom and told her like, "Hey, turn on the news." So my parents uh, were getting the kids, me and my sister, ready for school. My dad was getting ready for work. And so we turn on the TV, and as you know, we're all sitting around as a family. We saw the second plane hit the South Tower, I believe, was the second one. I want to get that correct. Um, I think it was also yeah, South Tower. Yeah, it was United Airlines yeah. Flight One Seventy Five. It hit the South Tower, and so uh, me, being a seven-year-old kid, I was like, "Wow, what a cool movie!" And my dad was like, "No, this is real." And then it just like like a you know like a switch flipped in my brain. I was like, "Wow, this is terrible." And then I remember my dad saying something about like, yeah, we're gonna, you know, there's gonna, there's, there's gonna be a war, like right away. It's the first thing he said. Jesus. And, um, anyway, so, um, like I said, um, my father was a, a RCMP officer for 35 years. So an after effect because of this was as soon as this happened, the RCMP and the Canadian government was concerned about, you know, 
more terrorist attacks happening, especially in Canada, like downtown in Parliament. So they put out a request for RCMP officers to come to Ottawa for extra protection in case of terrorist attacks. So in November, they're calling for members. By December, my dad was voluntold he was going because he's, he was bilingual. And then so he spent from December to April, so December of 2021 to April of 2022, like sent away from Saskatchewan over to Ottawa, just working on Parliament Hill, watching out for terrorists, all that kind of stuff, you know, extra security, beefing up security. And as a kid, I was like, oh, wow, my dad's gone for like, you know, five months, six months. Like, that's, this ain't fun. So yeah, that was kind of, was kind of what happened. I remember it and that's kind of the after effects. I mean, it, nothing is crazy, you know, affected me, but I'm saying that, you know, as a little seven year old kid, my dad was gone for a bit because of it. Yeah. And it, like, that's just crazy. Like, so like, not like that, that's like an actual, like, you know, tragic, you know, side effect of it, but like, well, it, it just, it just, it just scary, goes like to fact. show, yeah. Like it just goes to show like this thing happened in New York city and you <laughs> in Saskatchewan and Canada were affected. Like, even if like tertiary, yeah. way like by that's like your dad had what had was had to get like temporarily stationed in <laughs> like capital yeah yeah like that's crazy yeah, um, what, about, what about you remember you were telling me this is one of your earliest moments you remember yeah so the reason it's one of the earliest moments is i think because i think it was like a shock to my system because my my mom is you know always been a very like kind of emotional person and my uh dad was at work and i was watching uh you know like when you're a kid you'd like eating your like cereal and like watching your morning cartoons you know what i mean yeah, yeah. and like your mom's messing around the house you know you know doing something uh so i was watching like cartoons and it was kind of the same with you it was that it was the tail end of just before the second uh plane hit so the the second plane so i was watching like cartoons and my dad was at work and called my mom and said hey turn on the tv and she turned on it was you know she turned off my cartoons and she put on uh, i remember cnn i remember because it was it was red you know i remember i remember i was like three years old so but i remember like so, so vividly like i remember like one scene from this entire thing that's all i remember from it was my mom crying, like staring at the TV, like almost hysterical, hysterically crying, uh, you know, watching and seeing the, the first tower smoking and then the explosion and then, and then the second plane flying in and my mom, like screaming into her hands. And that, that's like where the memory like fades. But like, um, I think, I think that's why I remember it so vividly is because it was kind of like a shock to my system. Like up to that point, I had never seen my mother that emotional. Yeah. And I think that's why I probably do remember it. Cause like my next memory that I, the, my next memory that I have was like going to kindergarten when I was like five. <laughs> so like, um, so, that, so that wasn't really, uh, it wasn't really an effect on me, but I just remember so vividly seeing that, like, that's kind of my, uh, experience with that, seeing that when I was a kid. And then just because it's always been like such a, kind of emotionally triggering and not really triggering, but like just an emotionally significant memory for me. I've always been kind of interested or, you know, just really curious about, you know, what went into like why that occurred, you know, why, you know, why Al Qaeda did that and just the entire scenario behind the attacks and the specifics and like all of the, the, the stories of just the normal people who were, like like we were saying, like it was like super early for you, um, yeah. And like your your family was like your uncle. Yeah, I think you said was like up just away. You yeah, know, just well, yeah. Well, my uncle's in Montreal, so he's in the same. Oh, yeah, okay. So so, yeah, so yeah, he called. He's he just like him. yeah, just he's just like at work. It's like my dad called my mom. He was like at work. It's like they were doing normal things. <laughs> like they were doing normal people shit. This this the same things like the people that where the victims of these attacks were doing. And I mean, these people were at work. Yeah. Just sitting in their office building. You know what I mean? And then just they living, felt they just, you just know, living their lives. And then just out yeah, of nowhere. on a fucking Tuesday morning, just sitting there, you know, yeah. 
doing, you know, some bullshit for Merrill Lynch or, you know, whoever, you know, in New York city. Yeah. Yeah. And then they feel like the fucking earth, like, you know, the ground rumble and they're like, what the fuck was that? You know? And then just the world, you mainly gets up, uh, turned upside down. Um, so I'm saying like, I want to circle back what we said before, like, this is why we thought it was important to talk about because like the younger kids, they don't have these memories. Like you barely remember. I remember, but it's like, it's important for us to talk about and like, remember because you know, people don't have these memories like we do. Yeah. And, and definitely it gets, it, it gets, it becomes less prominent as time goes on, obviously as with all, you know, kind of events and things like that, you know, as, sad to say as that is, you know what I mean? Like if yeah. there will eventually be a time where people almost just don't talk about it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, but I think that it's important to understand like why these kind of things happen. You know what I mean? And, or if not, why then just don't forget the, the normal people. Like I know on this show, like we like to talk about the normal people that like kind of rise to these crazy expectations. Um, and, like nine eleven, like these these terrible attacks were it, it's kind of a story of of that. You know what I'm saying? It's a story of people on that day rising to these kind of extraordinary expectations and then uh you know, a nation rising to those same expectations. You know, and uh, you know, not everything was perfect after that, obviously. Well it's like there's a quote people say it's like we want the unity of September twelfth without September eleventh. Yeah, like, like America, <laughs> yeah, like galvanized and like no matter if you were like you know, uh, Democrat, Republican, if you were like North or South, like you were American, and it was like you know, like someone attacked us, like this is this is real, you know. So I was thinking about uh, was it when when Bush was standing there at ground zero and he had his microphone and he's like, uh, the people who knocked these towers down are going to hear from all of us, you know, like, yeah. Like yeah, that. that yeah, that was the quote that I wanted to look up. Oh, was it? Yeah, yeah, no, I remember that. Yeah, that's, yeah. Um, there's a podcast that I listened to, and that's part of the intro. Like the guy repeats a bunch of quotes, and you know, one of the one of the quotes is that. So it's like in my mind from listening to that podcast all the time. Yeah, yeah, it was that quote. Um, I wanted to read the quote from uh the former governor of New York, um, about just like talking about like how like united uh, America became in the aftermath of of that. Um, and I think, I don't know if it's, you know, common knowledge and like, uh, you know, like areas have like identity, you know, like, oh, Pittsburgh is Pittsburgh. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if places in Canada, like have that kind of like feel yeah. or whatever to them. Yeah. Culturally like, like, different. Yeah. Uh, like, well, like just like the kind of, you know, brotherhood or like kind of collective ideas of like one of like one area you know what i mean or like so prominent western canada quebec the east coast like what you know newfoundland yeah so like yeah so like new york has this identity of like you know new york we're the fucking best you know what i mean like yeah like don't fuck with new york you know what i mean and uh this uh, this uh quote by the former governor of new york uh george pataki um it was on that terrible day, a nation became a neighborhood. All Americans became New Yorkers. And like that kind of, I think, you know, kind of shows the kind of resolve and the unity of, you know, way, the way America kind of became one after this. And like, if you hear people talk like from the time, like even like being in New York. Yeah. uh, Like it's a city of like so many fucking people. And, you know, it's usually like people go on about their business and all that kind of stuff. But like, they were saying like after that, everyone was so friendly and so, you know, you know, nice. And like, so like, Oh, it's okay. You know what I mean? Like, cause being in a big city is unity is a lot can of be kind of being in a big city can be kind of shitty. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I've been in New York uh, and like, I don't ever want to go back. So like, but like people back then were like saying like, it was just so different. Like we were in it. It's like we're in it together. Like it's this such a tragic thing, but it's like we all became united in this like shared like sorrow of you know this this bullshit. <laughs> you know, like it's uh, it's just, it's just just like amazing. Pearl Harbor in World War Two in America. Like the whole Absolutely. country rallied it's, behind it, and then yeah. Um. So uh, that quote, and then uh, another quote, kind of to 
and then we'll segue into, we wanted to get into a couple people. We wanted to highlight yeah. a couple people who, uh, did some, you know, pretty prominent things that day. I think. Yeah. Uh, the last quote that it, it speaks towards, you know, kind of America kind of stepping up and saying, you know, you know, like we're still here. You know what I mean? So it was George Bush. Um, again, uh, so, so these, he said, these acts shattered steel, but they cannot dent the steel of America's resolve. And I, th- I think that's a pretty cool quote that kind of highlights the fact that like, you know, we're still fucking here. You know what I mean? Like we're still together. We're still united and nothing can fucking change that. And, you know, and I, and that shit, I think it made it even worse. You know what I mean? Like the, the worst thing that they could have done was some shit like this, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's a, I mean, that's the thing about like America is like, it seems so like divided and everyone's at odds with each other and all cutthroat and then stuff like this happens. And they just unite and they overcome it. Like yeah, that, that's that's American history. It is straight yeah. up like hating, not hating, but you know, disagreeing a lot. You know, we need, we need to come together for for a common cause. Get together, absolutely dominate that, and then you go back to you know disagreeing and not getting along. But it's all part of like the democratic like freedom that Americans have. It's yeah, like, it's, yeah. It's, a, it's a you know it's okay to disagree, but you know when shit hits the fan we're Americans and it's something really respectful in that as like, yeah, a Canadian, yeah. like outsider, you know, looking in on that. Yeah. It's like, we're such a, we're, you know, obviously, you know, Canada's like fucking huge, but like also just like just the size and like the diversity in America is one that like, there's so many different people with so many different ideals and, you know, so many different viewpoints. Mm-hmm but it always is something like something tragic, like Pearl Harbor, like nine 11, that makes the American people be like, all right, let's chill the fuck out for a second. What do we need to do to take care of this shit? Yeah. Yeah. And like, I admire that as part of like part of the American spirit, I think is the, (laughs) you know, like the thing of like, nobody can talk shit about my brother except me. You know what I mean? Like I can talk shit about, I can talk shit about California all fucking day, but if someone that does, if like if someone that you know blows up some shit in California, I'd be like, that's fucked up. Who are we gonna go to war with? Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, I don't agree with California or New York or fucking Arkansas. You know what I mean? All this shit. Like, there's people in these areas have different like viewpoints and all that kind of stuff. But when it comes down to it, it's like, no, no, it's America. You know, it's like we're gonna stand up and kick the shit out of whoever does that shit. You know, and. I, I, that's part of the, like, I think that's part of the American spirit. That's one of my favorite parts is like America means so many things. And what it means is we can be divided up until the point that we unite for whatever reason. And once we're united, nothing can divide us. You know what I mean? Yeah. But kind of wanted to segue that into highlighting a couple people. Uh, who we who we we thought just kind of exemplified, you know, these people that go above and beyond in these kind of situations. And uh, who did you want to highlight? Did you have somebody? Yeah, yeah, I do. So this is kind. Of, I just want to backpedal a little bit. Um, in a previous episode, like I was talking about, like what inspires me is like people in history and people stepping up and having good leadership. So the person that I picked was uh, Rick Rescorla, who was a uh, British-born uh, immigrant to America. He ended, he served in the British military, served in the Rhodesian police, but he ended up in the U.S. military, and he fought in the Ildrang Valley with uh, Colonel Hal Moore, like the movie uh, We Were Soldiers, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, so essentially, this man, like, grew up, like, you know, uh, in, you know, service okay so that's that's part of his core characters of him as a person is serving others he fought with an exemplar leader who has so many good leadership qualities that i want to do an episode about him so he so he really had like core principles of like you know uh doing the right thing you know service to others already ingrained in him okay 
So that, that's going to be important for when 9-11 happens. So eventually he gets out of the military and he ends up working a couple jobs or whatever, corporate security. And the day of um, September 11th, he was in the um, South Tower. So he heard the North Tower get hit at 8.46 a.m. And he heard the explosion and he saw the tower burning from his office. He was on the 44th floor of the World Trade Center 2, the South one. So when the Port Authority announced over the PA system, like, hey, stay calm, stay at your desk, he straight up said, uh, what do you say? I told them I'm getting my fucking people out of here. And he started directing people right away down the stairwell just to get them out of the building, right? So he was up on the 44th floor and people started like bottlenecking. And he straight up was like, you know, hey, you know, like, you know, keep it calm. Don't go in the elevators. Let's get down these stairs. Let's get down these stairs. You know, if someone's, you know, straggling, it's like, hey, take care of this person. Like he's, he's using his like ability that he got from like stressful situations, uh, serving in combat and being in military and policing in this stressful situation and like remaining calm. It's almost what we're talking about Stonewall Jackson is like a good quality of leadership is, is like staying calm under fire. So staying calm in the situation, you know, he's directing people, he's taking control of the situation and these kind of things, people need to be told what to do. I was telling Harry before we started recording, like let's say you're at some sort of accident and you're, and you're going to be the person doing first aid and you got a whole crowd of people around you and everyone's freaking out. Well, what you're going to do is point to some person you're calling 911. Okay, you're standing on the road, you're flagging down the ambulance, okay? You know, you're, you know, getting this person's, like, ID, whatever. Like, you need to tell people what to do in situations. People need to be told because there's leaders and there's followers, right? So he was doing an effective job as a leader, leading people out of the tower. And, like, people freak out, man. He stepped up, he did the job. And, you know, when the second plane hit the South Tower, you know, unfortunately he was killed with, you know, thousands of other people. But I really thought it was um, like a really, I don't know, moving thing that like, you know, he took control of the situation and he, through effective leadership, he saved people's lives. And that's something that I love to hear is like people in leadership positions doing yeah, what they can. Yeah, absolutely. So who do you have? Uh, oh, I had I had two. Um, yeah. The first one is uh, Father Michael Judge. Uh, I think that's how you say his name, Michael. It's spelled M-Y-C-H-A-O. Yeah. Pretty sure it's Michael. Um, He was the uh, FDNY's, uh, New York City Fire Department's um, chaplain. Or, yeah. He he was the chaplain of the FDNY. um, And he uh, was a, a Catholic priest who uh, you know, and his duties in his duties as chaplain, uh, he, you know, rushed to the uh, site, you know, cause obviously he knew like, Oh, why, you know, wow. There may be a, a lot of casualties. Um, and, uh, he, he, st- he was praying over, uh, bodies, you know, lying, uh, in the street outside of the, uh, North tower. And um, uh, in the near the lobby of the uh, North Tower, uh, where the like emergency command post had been, um, and he was just praying uh, over the bodies of people who had already been killed or were injured, and he was just doing his duty, um, you know, as the chaplain of the FDNY. Um, and when the uh, South Tower collapsed at 9.59 in the morning, uh, de- he was in the North Tower, and when the South Tower collapsed, uh, debris went flying through the lobby, and he was hit by flying debris and uh, ultimately killed uh, by that debris. Um, but just the fact that he was uh, just maintaining his composure and uh the it's reported by um a like a a reporter that did a uh, an article about uh the father judge on that day uh at, right before he died he said he was praying 
allowed Jesus, please end this now. God, please end this. And then he was struck by flying debris. And I think I wanted to highlight him because I thought that in, you know, in his duties as chaplain, you know, the chaplains often, it's a big part that's like often overlooked in war or in tragic situations. But I think chaplains are, they do a lot for people who are in, you know, you know, it could be some of the worst times in their life or the last moments of their life. And this person is there saying, you know, I'm with you. You know I mean? If any, if for no other reason than to say, you know, you're not going to die alone. And, and I think, so that's, I think that's a very noble job that like chaplains do. And, uh, that I wanted to highlight that because I, I felt like, he was doing his job. You know, he was praying over people that had been injured or praying over people that had passed away already. And when he too, uh, got killed. So I wanted to highlight that, or I wanted to highlight him because like I thought, he, wasn't, he wasn't just doing his job for like the city, you know, you know, yeah. he, was, he was doing his job for the Lord, right? He was, yeah, he was being the spiritual leader that he needed to be. He was being, you know, care for his fellow man, you know, showing core principles, Christianity, you know, loving your neighbor, yeah. like, he was, you know, he was, you know, doing yeah. God's work. Yeah, and I, and um, especially in a city where, um, a city like New York City with such a, a high Catholic population, um, him being available to Catholics who were potentially in their, you know, last moments is an important thing for Catholics, yeah. um, because Catholics get something called the last rites, um, and that's kind of a it's kind of your last opportunity to, you know, ask for forgiveness for, you know, your sins and all that kind of thing and, you know, get absolution and just for him to be able to him doing that in the midst of this, you know, quagmire of chaos and insanity and all, you know, all this stuff going on around him, him, him to have the composure to do his job, for the FDNY, do his job for God, do his duty to the people of New York City, or just the people in there in general, you know, is something is really amazing. And that's why I wanted to highlight him. Um, the second person I wanted to highlight was Oreo Palmer, who was a battalion chief of the FDNY. Um, he had been in the FDNY for a long time. Um, up to that point, he, I think it was, he'd been there for like 20 years, I think it was. Yeah, he died age 45. Yeah, he'd been in the FDNY like 20 years. Um, he was a battalion chief, so uh, he was, uh, he ran the New York City Marathon uh, like regularly. <laughs> and uh, so he was a marathon runner. Uh, and when his, uh, unit showed up to the attacks, he, uh, showed up to the North tower at, at first, you know, you know, like kind of check in and yeah. see what needed to be done. And, uh, he went to the South tower, you know, after he was kind of given orders of like where to go and what to do. Um, he went to the South Tower at, uh, I'm sorry, he was in the North Tower, and then he went to the South Tower. Um, he started to, he was, like I said, he was a marathon runner, so he actually uh, started ascending the stairs uh, uh, of the, I think it was the North Tower he was in, checking him on he he moved into the south tower once it was hit. Okay, so yeah, so he started ascending the south tower. Uh, so he he took a freight elevator, um, to the forty first floor, which was halfway to where the plane hit. Um, and the plane hit from the seventy seventh to the eighty fifth floors, like the wingspan hit from those from the 77th to 85th floors. Um, so he took a freight elevator up to the 41st floor and he actually 
started climbing the stairs up to try and get to the impact zone. And on his way uh, up, you know, there's people obviously coming down the stairs. On um, on his way up, he was telling people, you know, giving instructions, helping people down, directing people, um, you know, that kind of thing. And uh, there's a real famous like tape of uh, of him uh, communicating with the. Uh, with his unit, and I think with the uh, the command post in the North Tower, um, but primarily with his unit, there's a famous recording of of their communication that day, and you can hear the uh, you can hear the kind of you know they're stressed out. You can obviously hear that, but they're maintaining control. They're doing what they need to do, um, and you can just. From from the tape, you can hear that uh, you just. I was kind of like awestruck when I heard the tape of of the the kind of the back and forth the 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 communication. It's they were all about doing their job. They're all about getting to where they needed to get to to help people. And um, they think I think they that they think he was able to get up to uh the impact zone. I think I think yeah. they I think that he actually was able to get up to the um yeah he was he was able to get up to the impact zone on the 78th floor. Um and he uh was able to report on you know num- he reported numerous casualties up there at that point. Um but he uh passed away when the South Tower collapsed. But I, I just wanted to highlight him because, again, it's he was doing his duty to the you know the people of New York to all you know everyone in the in the everyone in that situation. He was, you know, all those dudes voluntarily went into those towers. You know what I mean? Like none of those guys said no, or you know what I mean? See, what I want to say is really important. Is like so he was a battalion chief, so that's a man who's in charge of multiple stations, multiple like yeah. trucks, right? So he he's like I said like going back to what i like talking about leadership right he's in a leadership position okay and as a leader he's choosing he doesn't have to go in there he he could sit back in the command post and tell people where to go and what they're doing but no he he seizes like you know the initiative to go by himself and like see what's going on and like do you think his men like that's inspiring for his men? Like his men are like, hey, if if you know the battalion chief is running up these stairs, I need to go in. Like, yeah, that, that's that's an important concept of leadership. Is like you don't lead from the back, you lead from the front. So he's setting the example for his men. He's getting in there and communicating. Like in in any situation, you know, like I said, the fire, war, like policing, communication is really important. Everyone needs to know what's going on. So like he's relaying important information back. He's he's leading his men through example and he's doing something extremely dangerous and brave and physically demanding too. So like he just sets the bar so high for like bravery and dedication. Absolutely. And you know the two the people that we mentioned are only we a, we a couple out of yeah, hundreds, maybe uh, thousands yeah. of people that yeah, you know, that that acted in like extreme circumstances with like bravery that like we can't even can't even comprehend like i've never been in any situation where i need to you know it's like life or death you know what I mean? yeah yeah no like it's it's unbelievable for me like and like as i was saying earlier like these are the kind of people that inspire me like do you think yeah. i want to sit around and be a piece of shit no because people like this are out there giving their lives doing crazy things like you you, you have to you know you know, respect this shit and like, you know, be inspired by it. And if you don't like you're worthless. And, uh, I, th- I think it was, uh, I think it was Jocko Willink's podcast who I don't want, I don't watch his podcast, but I watch like the shorts. On, I'm a huge know, like, Jocko fan. I've, I've listened to every episode. Uh, he like, I think it was his show where he was talking about, it was maybe him. I, th- I think, I think it might've been a guest who was talking about, how like whenever he like kind of felt down about all the shit he's seen and like you know just like not feeling good it's like he would remember the people that he would remember his friends that like died in like afghanistan 
or Iraq. Iraq. He, he was in Iraq, yeah. Okay, uh, yeah. I think it was. Yeah. I think it was. I think it was a guest on his show that talked about. Okay, it. yeah. Well, I mean, Jocko, but he would he would talk about. about he t- this guy was talking about how he was like whenever I was feeling down or whenever I was down in the dumps or like that I don't want to do anything that day. I would always think about like, you know, what about this guy? He can't ever do that shit again. Yeah. His his family, his kids are never going to see him do that shit again. They're never going to do anything with him ever again. So when I like am feeling down or while I don't do anything, this guy was saying he thinks about those people and how they're never going to be able to do that again and how their families are never going to be able to see them do that again or experience anything with them again. And that's what motivates him to to go out and like do shit like what i'm saying like on on our level right like we're not these like you know experienced you know operator guys like on our level it's like i listen to you know podcasts and i'm at the gym and it's like i hear someone talking about this kind of stuff i'm like i'm gonna run that extra like kilometer on the treadmill i'm gonna throw an extra you know couple pounds on the bench and i'm gonna bench more weight it's like there's people out there that have done crazy more things so like why can't yeah. i be inspired to do more yeah and and again the the people we mentioned are it's three people of just so many people in that situation who whose stories we wouldn't even hear about you know what i mean I, like i'm sure there was i'm sure there was like people that were in those situations that were helping people down that we just never knew about and we because, won't hear about because lost yeah, yeah. um and you know, I was talking about the FDNY, the R.O. Palmer and uh, Father Judge uh, with the FDNY. Uh, 343 members of the FDNY died uh, on those attacks. And like that, like, I, like I, that's one number that's like always like, sh- like stuck with me. It's like, that's bigger than most like fire departments, I think. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, like, for example, the New York City police have more people than the Canadian military. So, like, the numbers in New York, like these, are staggering. Yeah, yeah, it's staggering. yeah, they're staggering. Like, they have, like NYPD has, I think, thirty-five thousand cops. They have like sixty thousand or something, don't they? I don't know. Anyway, sorry. We'll check. We'll check. Yeah, I'm looking it up right now. Um. Well, so the FDNY uh, now has. Fifty thousand six hundred and seventy-six employees. Jesus, well, how many were uniformed cops? Uh, thirty-five thousand sworn police there officers. So, and the FDNY. Uh, I'm checking the most recent year, uh, but whatever. Um, so uniformed fire and EMS personnel. So EMS is like paramedics and stuff. I think. Yeah. So that's fifteen thousand. Yeah. Right now. Um, but like, still like, so like it's the size of the department is like staggering. You know what I mean? It's like unfathomable to the people. Three, like 300 people is like the full, that's like so yeah. many people. <laughs> like that's a shit ton of people. Like you're like, if you've ever been in a room and like, be like, damn, that's three, that's 500 people. Like a couple hundred down from that. Like that's a shit ton of people. Yeah. And like for each. It's like it's New York City, right? Those dudes are firefighters. Like, not I'm not trying to be funny or nothing, but like those dudes probably a good percentage of them it's firefighters, dude. <laughs> like, yeah, most of them not single, probably. Most of them had wives. <laughs> most of them had families. Yeah. Like, and just think about like the toll those families like you like you you look at the numbers of like the the casualties and all that, but like it doesn't that doesn't speak to it's, it's like a spider web. Yeah. It literally. The wife, the kids, it, it branches out. Yeah, yeah. That 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 guy's brother. You know what I mean? That guy's father. You know what I mean? Yeah. There was um, I forget who it was. I forget what the name of the guy, but he was a famous uh, I think a lieutenant in the FDNY or something. And he was in the command post giving orders, I think, and he sent his brother up into the south tower and his brother died and he lived and i forget who it was but it was one of the stories i saw in one of the documentaries i was watching about this but um it was like just in the fdny alone like how many fathers and brothers joined together or because of one another you know what i mean oh i was i was watching completely unrelated but there's a, there's a documentary about the fdny the nypd's annual hockey game 
Yeah. And like a lot of these guys, yeah, there's like brothers and fathers, like generations of family that join these, you know, services. Yeah, it's uh yeah, it's to the point of I think in the FDNY, I think if uh like if you're if you're in the FDNY and like you have a son or daughter and they come in behind you, I think if you retire or you you know, you know, God forbid, knock on wood, like die in the line of duty, I think your child gets your like badge number. Uh okay. Yeah, I think maybe the FD, I think maybe the NYPD has the same thing. I'm not sure. But yeah, just like the the toll, like the numbers is staggering. Like the casualties is staggering. It's always staggering in those situations. But it's more so the story behind each of those people that affected each and every one of those people. You know what I mean? Um, I just want to circle back to uh, Michael Judge. Um. So apparently he was made a saint by the Catholic Church in America. So he's Saint Michael Judge or Saint Michael the Martyr. And his fire helmet was presented to Pope John Paul II and France awarded him the Legion to Honor. So so he's up for uh saint. I think they're going to make him a saint. Uh, okay, no, I'm, yeah, sorry. It's just uh, it says, it no, says no, no, no. So so I, I did hear about that. I just didn't mention it, but they uh they like proposed him, I think, for sainthood. Oh. And I think they were discussing it. I I, um, I thought he was a saint. That's from what I was looking at, but I could be wrong. I'm not Catholic, so I don't know how the whole sainthood thing works. But anyway. Oh, he was he was yeah, he is a saint in the Orthodox Catholic Church. Ah, okay. Uh, that's not the the big Roman one. Catholic Church? No. Yeah. Okay. Oh, okay. So it's American uh, Catholic Church. Okay, but I mean, yeah. He's well, Pope. he is a saint. He's a saint to them. Yeah, so, I mean, he's so... a saint. In, yeah. Unreal. This is crazy. Like it's, and then, like I said, this is just like a micro scale of like just the yeah. This yeah. We mentioned th- we mentioned we summarized uh, three people, uh, you know. Who, you know, like we summarized their entire lives. Like we summarized, you know, the tail end of their lives. You know what I mean? And what what we sk- we skated over like what they did as a profession. Uh, but beyond that, like it's like three thousand people now officially because of like all the the initials people that passed on that day, and then like the people that have like passed since from cancer and things like that. Yeah. It's like each person is it's another story, you know what I mean? And that will that will take hours to get through and just the kind of inability to, for us to like summarize all of that kind of shows the magnitude of this incident in the hearts of America back then and I hope for one that it stays in the hearts of Americans for a long time, just so that we don't forget these people that deserve to not be forgotten. You know what I mean? Obviously, like New York, New York City's not gonna forget ever. You yeah. know what I mean? But the but, it's possible for the rest of America to forget. Yeah, or it's easier for them to forget. You know what I mean? Easier, yeah. But yeah. Um, and that being said, um, we want to just kind of encourage everyone to, you know, think about, you know, this incident and that kind of thing. And, uh, just take a moment to remember everyone who passed that day and just don't forget it, you know, because it does affect, it affects more than, people think you know i feel like most people wouldn't have to look too hard to find how it affects them but i think with that we'll probably close out uh, did you have anything else to add i mean you pretty much you know summed it up right there you know it's crucial that we remember the importance of a like, unity compassion to our fellow man and resilience in the face of adversity so yeah. those are some really good things to keep in mind and um, I mean, with that, man, you know, I think that's 
summarizes it. I mean, there's a little bit more that went on, but we just want to just talk about some really inspiring people to us. So thanks for listening, and we really appreciate it. Um, recently, our, our our listening uh, numbers have gone up a lot, and we really appreciate that from our last episode. So if everyone could just you know follow us on all of our social media, the worst is yet to come. We're on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, we're on YouTube. Hopefully, our clips will get uploaded soon. We got to work on getting the files. Yeah. Video. Yeah. It'll happen. It'll happen soon. But you know, thanks to all the support, and thanks to all of our friends and family that have reached out and talked about this. We really appreciate it. So, on that note, um, have a good night, Harry. Okay. Later.